I invite you to turn with me to 2 Samuel, the 18th chapter. It's a very tragic chapter, but there is much truth in it, warning and good examples and great truth for us. Previously, in our series through 2 Samuel, we learned what kind of people are with the king. And we went down the list of some wonderful people who followed King David out of the city of Jerusalem into the darkness of the night to escape the coup, the takeover, the rebellion led by David's own son Absalom. This week's episode, though, the rebellion comes to a head. And uh, we're going to have the battle of the forest or the woods of Ephraim. David is now with his faithful army and many civilians are with him who escaped Jerusalem. They have fled on a perilous journey out of Jerusalem across the little brook Kidron up the slope of the Mount of Olives over on the other side. They crossed over the Jordan River. And they have found refuge in the city of Mahat-Naim. Have you ever been to Mahat-Naim? Well, neither have I. But David has. Mahat-Naim was on the other side of the Jordan River. It was the very place where Ishbosheth. You might remember him, but don't worry if you don't. It's all written in the Bible. You can read about it. He was Saul's son who cast forth the civil war when David had become king, and that was his headquarters. So David is where his enemy once was held up, where his enemy had established his kingdom against David. And now, in protection against Absalom and his forces, David is there. Absalom and his army are less than ten miles away. I cannot help but think that with David held up in the city of Mahatnaim, in that walled city, all those forces, all those leaders, all of that army, all of those civilians, among them is a nine-year-old little boy by the name of Solomon. He is going to be heir to the throne of David. And he's nine years old. He's going to grow up and he's going to write three books inspired by the Holy Spirit that are in our Bibles. He's going to write the Song of Solomon, that great love song. He's going to write Proverbs and he's going to write Ecclesiastes. He's going to build the temple, the first temple. And it's going to be a magnificent reign. Now, don't get too fired up about Solomon. He's one man who didn't follow his own advice. He, um, he had some problems, as we'll see in a few years when we get into 1 Kings. But he's nine years old now, and he's with his daddy. I don't know if he's standing in the city gate overlooking all these, this army, or if he's somewhere in some uh, home somewhere, hid out with his mother Bathsheba. But uh, 
There he is, nine years old. My sanctified imaginations just, just keeps picturing him and all that he observes and all that he is looking at and seeing and hearing. And the fear that little boy must have had as he saw his strong daddy flee this little punk named Absalom. And uh, years later, I think he might have written down in the book of Proverbs, as I have read this chapter of 2 Samuel, perhaps he remembered these events and he wrote, In the multitude of people is the king's honor, but the want of people is the destruction of the prince. Referring to Absalom. You'll see what I mean in just a moment. We're going to see a battle here. It's a historical battle. It provides truths for us in our battles. Maybe you're battling temptation right now. You have a temptation that just hounds you and hounds you and, and uh, attacks you. It's a, a stronghold of the devil against you, a sin of the flesh that you can't seem to uh, overcome. And it's always a temptation, always before you. And it's a battle that you fight. Maybe there's other battles that you fight. Maybe you're fighting a battle in prayer today for your mission. Uh, you have a who's your mission. You're participating in who's your mission. And you have somebody that's lost. And you're battling out your burden in prayer for them to be saved. And it's a battle. Whatever battle you have. You see the title of the message today is Eyes Right. I originally had another title and another application for this. But I learned some lessons from some of our military personnel in our church, and eyes right is an order that when you're on parade, you hear eyes right, you cock your head eyes right at a 45 degree angle and put your eyes on the dignitary who is reviewing the troops. Eyes right. How many of you ever heard that order before? My wife says, get right, but I've never heard eyes right. But eyes right, and you're watching and viewing and seeing the dignitary. In this case, I can picture this great army, of, and we'll read in a moment how they marched out of the city gate past David, and the order was, eyes right. And for the battle, for the victory, keep your eyes right. Keep your eyes on the king. And so we're going to look at some principles uh, from eyes right. How to win your battles. How to be on the king's side. How to fight in the Lord's army. Wasn't it wonderful to sing the old war songs of the church today? Man, it's been a long time since I heard some of those old hymns. In some places, they don't even sing them anymore. I remember I had a, a, a young lady said, Oh, in our church, we quit singing Onward Christian Soldiers and those because it's too militaristic. But you know what? If I were to stand up here and say to you today, the church is a hospital for sick folks, most of you would say amen. But you know that analogy is never in the Bible? That is one analogy. Look, if you're a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You've won. And, uh, but if I were to say that, people would say amen. But I want to tell you what the Bible does say. The, the, the Bible does speak of us in terms of a military force. It says, the gates of hell, the defensive, not offensive, but defensive gates of hell will not win over the church. So we're to storm the gates of hell. We're to be a military. We're supposed to be an aggressor. Amen? 
Now it's time for sermon number two. Let's get our eyes right and read 2 Samuel. We're going to read just a, about 18 verses beginning in verse 1. And David numbered the people that were with him. Remember, he's been fleeing all night, and he finally makes it in safety and gets safe in the city of Mahanaim. And there he numbers the people that were with him and set captains of thousands and captains of hundreds over them. And David sent forth a third part of the people under the hand of Joab, and a third part under the hand of Abishai, and the son of Zuriah, Joab's brother, and a third part under the hand of Ittai the Gittite. Remember him? He was a Philistine who came to the Lord, converted to, to the Jehovah God, and is now one of David's three generals. And the king said unto the people, I will surely go forth with you myself also. He's talking about going into battle. But the people answered, Thou shalt not go forth. For if we flee away, they will not care for us. Neither if half of us die will they care for us. But now thou art worth 10,000 of us. Therefore now it is better that you succor us out of the city. You help us and minister to us from the city. And the king said unto them, What seemeth you best, I will do. And the king stood by the gate, and all the people came out by hundreds and by thousands, eyes right. And the king commanded Joab and Abishai and Ittai, saying, Deal gently for my sake with the young man, even with Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captain's charge concerning Absalom. So the people went out into the field against Israel, and the battle was in the wood of Ephraim. Where the people of Israel, Absalom's forces, were slain before the servants of David... And there was a great slaughter that day of 20,000 men. For the battle was there scattered over the face of all the country. And the wood devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. And Absalom met the servants of David. And Absalom rode upon a mule. And the mule went under the thick boughs of a great oak tree, and his head called hold of the oak. And he was taken up between the heaven and the earth, and the mule that was under him went away. And a certain man saw it, and told Joab, and said, Behold, I saw Absalom hanged in an oak tree. And Joab said unto the, unto the man, and behold, thou sawest him, why didn't you smite the, him to the ground? I would have given thee ten shekels of silver and a, and a sash, a girdle. And the man said unto Joab, Though I should receive a thousand shekels of silver in my hand, yet would I not put forth my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing the king charged thee and Abishai and Ittai, you three generals, 
saying, Beware that none touch the young man Absalom. Otherwise, I should have wrought falsehood against my own life, for there is no matter hid from the king, and thou, may, thou thyself would have set thyself against me. Then said Joab, I will not tarry thus with thee. I don't have time for you. And he took three darts in his hand and thrust them through the heart of Absalom while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. And ten young men that bare Joab's armor compassed about him and smote Absalom and slew him. And Joab blew the trumpet. And the people returned from pursuing after Israel, for Joab held back the people. And they took Absalom and cast him into a great pit in the wood and laid a very great heap of stones upon him. And all children fled, all Israel fled, everyone to his tent. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and reared up for himself a pillar, which is in the king's dale, the valley of the king. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. And he called the pillar after his own name. And it is called unto this day Absalom's place. Now that we're finished with children's hour. <laughs> no. This is a story, an account worthy of our consideration. Because it tells us just what it means to keep your eyes on the king and win his victories, what he has for you. Another question is, is whose side are you on? Let's look and look at the men, first of all, who are on the king's side. They're fighting with the king. Their eyes are on the king, and they're fighting with the king. You might have noticed that David numbered his army. And there were thousands with him, thousands. And they would go to battle with him, and they would go to battle for him. Four characteristics of this army I want to show you. And if you're fighting with the king, and if your eyes are right, and your eyes are on the Lord Jesus in your spiritual battles, whatever it may be, these four characteristics are yours. Number one, your plan is his guidance. David numbered his army... And he did not divide them, he dispersed them in three troops. He gave one to Joab, he gave another to Abishai, and then he gave one to Ittai the Gittite. And that's three sides he was going to attack. So he would surround three sides of the woods of Ephraim. North, south, and then of course to the east. The west side was the Jordan River. And even on the south, you might have had the Jabbok River, depending on how far the woods extended. And so Absalom's army would not be able to go anywhere but within those woods. And David was a master, master strategist. He knew how to fight. He knew when to fight. And he knew where to fight. And he staged the battle in the woods, knowing the topography of that land knowing the danger and the hardship it would be for Absalom's army to be fighting in those thick woods. And so David gave them guidance. 
Isn't it wonderful that when you fight your spiritual battles, you're not on your own, but you have the guidance of the Lord? Do you know that Romans 8, chapter 4, Romans 8 and verse 4 uh, says that he that is, is a son of God has the Holy Spirit guiding him and leading him? Did you know that Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 says, um, Lean not on your own understanding. Is that what it says? Trust in the Lord. Lean not in your own understanding. Trust in the Lord. And God will give you understanding. And God will give you guidance. And this is what's happening here. He will never lead you into a fight you can't win. Or he can't win through you. And he will keep you strong. And he will give you all you need. Paul wrote, there is no temptation taking you but such as is common to man. But if you have to run and escape, he'll provide a way and escape. And sometimes you just got to stand fast, flat-footed, and resist. And God will always give you guidance for the victory. David said, this is how we're going to do it. Can you imagine how weary and tired he must have been? But he lined it up. He said, okay, you take this, you take those, Abishai, you take these. Y'all surround this by three. Uh, we, we got them in a corner. We surrounded them on three sides. And then we'll do our attack. He gave them guidance. He organized his army. And so when you go to fight your spiritual battles, your plan needs to be the guidance of the Lord. Let me tell you the two things he guides you to do. Number one, be in the Word and obey it and be a person of prayer. And God will, you'll see God's guidance. Second of all, your priority is His glory. Typical of David, he said, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to be out there on the battlefield too. And I love it when those people said, oh, no, 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 David, you can't go with us. You're too valuable. You're worth more than 10,000 of us. If they wipe out half of us, it won't faze them in the least bit. They're coming for you. They want to do battle against you. David, all they're after is you. You are our priority. You are the one we're concerned about. And we're going to die protecting you, David. But if we get out there and it turns for the bad and we start losing, they'll get you. David, you are our main concern. You are the one who matters. And David agreed. The king agreed. I want to tell you what, when you are eyes right, and you're fighting with the king and for the king and on the king's side, your priority is only the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of what happens to you. You want David, you want David's greater son, Jesus, to be high and lifted up and exalted and be glorified. He is the one who matters. Amen? The victory doesn't even matter. It's Jesus who matters. Just remember that. Put him first. Make him a priority. Remember this. He's worth more than you. That does a lot for your self-esteem, doesn't it? But he's worth more than you. It's his glory that matters. That's our priority in every battle is the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then third of all, your provision will be his gifts. They said, David, we want you to stay behind and provide for us. Succor us is the King James word. Provide for us from the city. Take care of us. You make sure we have our needs. You keep up with what's going on. And, and if we need more weapons or we need reinforcements, you can disperse some more or you can 
take some here and place them there, and you can be the command headquarters. You, you help us from the city. And David agreed, and that's what he did. Isn't it a wonderful picture of our Lord and Savior? Don't we have a king who's in the city of heaven, ever living to make intercession for us? Didn't he ascend to heaven and give gifts to men? You know, God gave us the ability to fight our battles, spiritual battles, and win them for the glory of Christ because of what Christ has given us. The greatest gift Christ gave to us is the Holy Spirit. And He sends us, He sent the Holy Spirit to us. When you became a Christian, you were inhabited and indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And when you are walking with Christ and you have your eyes right, I want to tell you what happens. You are filled with the Holy Spirit and your eyes are on the King. And you have all the equipment you need. You have all the ability you need. You have all the power you need. You have all the wisdom you need. You have everything you need from headquarters to fight the battle and win. And so there your provision is as gifts. But then in verse 5, we see something very important. Now, folks, this is easy to get away from here. Your, your only purpose is His grace. And so while these men are marching out to battle, Joab led his thousands out first. And as their eyes are right looking at the king, David says over and over again, Deal gently with the young man, even Absalom. Deal gently with him for my sake. For my sake. And he says that over and over again. He gives those orders to Joab. And then Abishai's thousand. General Abishai leads his thousand out. Eyes right. Deal gently, deal gently with the young man, even Absalom, for my sake. Spare his life. Bring him home to me. And then all of Abishai's men hear that command. They hear that grace of David. And then here comes Ittai, young Ittai. Remember, he's a young man. And he comes out. And he's leading his army and his forces. And he orders Ittai, deal gently with the young man, even Absalom, for my sake. David's purpose was not to kill Absalom. David's purpose was to see him repent and be restored and be reconciled to him. After all, David was his father and his king. He wanted Absalom restored for the kingdom. And he wanted Absalom reconciled to him as a father. You see, isn't that just like our Savior? For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. This is an amazing, amazing grace that we see here. And folks, listen, in your spiritual battles, your priority, your purpose is the grace of God. All the issues that we have in our world, all what the church must speak against and stand against, always and forever, the purpose needs to be the grace of God for lost people. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to see a young man stand before the king and David is going to say, what happened to Absalom? And the young man's going to say, I don't know. And David's going to say, stand aside. Your purpose is not my purpose. That's the last thing you want to hear the Lord say on Judgment Day. Stand aside. 
You did all. You fought all kinds of battles. You might have won victories, but you didn't care about the Absaloms. Your purpose was not my purpose. God's purpose is to win souls from hell and death and sin. God's purpose is evangelism. God's purpose is to change people's hearts with the gospel. Take care of Absalom. Deal gently for my sake, David said. That's our purpose of the Lord's army. Amen. That's the purpose. We're the only army that's ever existed whose purpose is not to tear things down and destroy things, but instead to give life, to spread the message of the gospel. And so that is the soldier that fights for the king. That's the soldier who's on the Lord's side, whose eyes are right. And then we got to take a look at those who are fighting against the king. And that brings us to Absalom. We learn what happens when someone will not repent and surrender and lay down their arms for the king. We see a tragedy in Absalom, David's son. And we see some spiritual parallels. There's three things about Absalom I want you to see in this text about fighting against the king. And maybe you're here today and um, you're in rebellion against God. Now, you may not think you are, but you don't know Christ as your Savior. You're living life your own way. And the Scriptures teach that that is basically living in rebellion against God because He's sovereign Lord. And you, you, you don't want to trust Christ as your Savior for one reason or another. And you're following your own path, or you're going this path or that path, whatever way you're going, and whatever your goals are, and whatever your ambition is, and whatever your source of, of understanding is, you're fighting against the king. And the first thing we see about Absalom is in verse 7. Notice his men. 20,000 of them, 20, of them were slaughtered. You might remember a message a few weeks ago that we preached when Absalom first began to develop this, this rebellion, develop his coup. And he started out with just 50 men. 50 men who followed, uh, who, who followed him in chariots and, and uh, rode the chariots. Prideful, arrogant, boastful people. And then he had 200 of them that just followed him without even knowing why they were following him. And we made the comment, that's, that's how most people today are going to march to a devil's hell. Just no discernment. Just no thought. They're not, they, they, they don't look at themselves as, as rebelling against God. They just live in their life. And it sounds good. Remember, Absalom was a, uh, he was a pretty boy. I mean, he had long hair, and he'd put gold dust in it and silver, and it'd sparkle in the sun, and, and he was strong, and, and, and just, uh, he was just, uh, well, I mean, a hunk. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know another way. Is that okay to say? It's too late, John. I done said it. 
I mean, everybody, I mean, he was just attractive. He was flashy and fine. Everybody thought, I mean, wow. And these, two, these 200 guys said, man, he really looks good. Let's go after him. Man, that's, that feels good. Looks good. Let's go. And off they went. And the coup grow, grew. I wonder, out of this 20,000, how many of them were of the 50 and how many of them were of the 200? Solomon, that nine-year-old boy, would grow up to write, There is a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is the way of death. And they followed Absalom, thinking it's the right thing to do. And I wonder how many of them were in this 20,000. Not only was there a slaughter, but the Bible also says there was a scattering. And, and I don't know exactly how many were scattered. I know 20,000 died, but how many of them were scattered, I don't know. But it was a significant number, I'm sure. The, these are the kind of people who, who you, you kind of think there's some hope for them. Because they're still living. And they, they, they saw what was happening. They saw that the situation was falling apart. They saw that Absalom wasn't as cracked up as they thought he was. They, 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 they just said, uh-oh, we, we, we made a mistake. We're, we're following the wrong man. We, 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 uh, we, need, to, uh, we need to change course here. And, and they fled. And they just scattered, and they went everywhere trying to escape Joab, Abishai, and Ittai, try, trying to get away with their lives. And they, they just finally woke up. You know, the good thing about that is, is with David, as gracious as he was, it wasn't too late. I would tell you that no doubt there were some of these men who finally made it back home. Maybe they made it back to Jerusalem. Maybe they made it back to Bethlehem. Maybe they, they made it back to Israel proper where David would establish his throne or reestablish his throne after vacating it for this time. And they would repent and receive pardon from the king. Isn't that just like Jesus to, to receive sinners who have rebelled against him? When they look around and they say, this is not working. This is not what we anticipated. My life is in shambles. I'm about to lose it all. I'm going to run. I'm going to flee. I'm going to change. And I wonder how many of them went back to David and said, David, we did wrong. We seek your pardon. We have evidence in Scripture that David would have received them. Let me share something with you folks. You might have been trying your own way for many years now. And you're just over and over again trying everything to find peace, to find resolution, to find something that just gives you satisfaction and peace and hope. And, and you hadn't found. That's because you've been following a whole bunch of Absaloms. And you need to stop and repent and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Receive him as your Savior. Surrender to him as your Lord. Begin to obey the Scriptures. Begin to grow in the Lord. And I want to tell you something. Your troubles will just begin some more because the devil will be on your case then. But I'd rather have the devil on my case when I've got Jesus than Mike Barnett's own way. And you could turn to Jesus. The Absaloms will always lead you to hell. And that may be you. And it's just not too late for you to return. That's his men. Take a lesson here. And surrender to his lordship. Just repent of your own way. Turn from your own way. Isaiah the prophet said, Every man has gone after his own way. And then he calls us to repent and turn to God's way. And God's way is always through Christ. But there's a second thing about Absalom I want you to see. His mule. His mule. How many of you have ever ridden on a mule? Am I? Two of us. Three of us. I'm not going to ask any questions about that. There's a famous sermon that one of my heroes, Lester Roloff, who died in a plane crash in 1980. Lester Roloff preached on this text. And Brother Roloff was a unique preacher. He, would, uh, he, he was just a unique preacher. He preached a sermon on this called, And the Mule Walked On. And it's a famous sermon. It's one of those sermons that, that, that nobody else could have ever preached it. The mule walked on. Well, Absalom's mule did walk on. This was a symbol that Absalom was putting out there. When he led his army foolishly into the woods of Ephraim. And by the way, those woods were so thick. And the topography was so contrary to fighting a battle. That the Bible says more people died because of the woods than did by the sword. Isn't that something? David was brilliant to fight there. And so Absalom rode on a mule. And usually only kings rode on mules. And it showed their strength. It showed their steadiness. It showed their pace. Um, it was a statement that Absalom was making. But it was a statement of ego and pride and arrogance. What he was saying as he rode on that mule was, is I am the king. I am the king. And he was telling his men, 20,000 of whom are dead. Many others fleeing to say this isn't working. And there he is on his mule. And I can just picture this. As I, as I, I read it a hundred times if I read it once. Just trying to picture in my mind how this could be. And I just kind of picture that maybe, maybe Absalom shows up in a clearing or something. And he's on his mule. And there's... Uh, David's army right there, and he, he turns around real quick and, and hits that mule, and off he runs real fast back into the brush, back into the trees, and he doesn't go maybe a hundred yards up in there, and his hair is flying in the wind and all that, and he comes between a, a, the, a, under an oak tree that's hanging low, and it catches his hair, or maybe a fork catches his neck, and, and he gets struggle hung up there, and the mule just keeps on going. 
And there he is kicking his feet, you know, trying to hold on, maybe by his hair. Some, some people have tried to get into the Hebrew and say, well, it was actually his neck. Others say, no, his hair hung him. But I want to tell you, either way, the mule walked on. And he's just dangling his feet like this. Can you just imagine that? And uh, the lesson we learn, friend, whatever you're riding on to declare yourself somebody to rob King Jesus of his rightful place in your life, pleasure, pride, your job, a position, notoriety, Serving in the church. That's a mule that's going to walk on one day and leave you hanging. You need to submit to the king. Let's keep Jesus on the mule. Amen. Oh, that's good preaching whether you're a country boy or not. Let's keep Jesus on the mule. It's not your mule. That mule will walk on every single time and leave you hanging. And you read what happened. There's always a Joab who shows up. And Absalom is killed. He's murdered. It leads to death. Where's the mule? The mule walked on. No help there. And then the last thing I want you to see about Absalom is his monuments. We read about them. Joab takes three darts... And pierces the heart of Absalom with those three javelins is what they were. And then his ten bodyguards, his ten armor bearers, he, he says, sick him boys. And they go and they take Absalom. Not to be gruesome, but the old rabbis say that they hacked him into pieces. And then they dug a hole, a shallow hole, a pit, threw him in there and covered it with rocks. So the first mon- Absalom had two monuments. First of all was the monument to his sin that Joab had dug. It reminded them of what happened in Joshua 7 when Achan, the Israelite, stole, stole from the Lord at the Battle of Jericho. And they stoned his whole family because they were complicit in it and they dug a pit and covered it with rocks. And now when everybody would ride by that battlefield, they wouldn't see a white stone that honored a war dead. They would see a pile of rocks that said, this was a rebel. This was a sinful man, an arrogant man. And then the last verse of our text, verse 18, kind of goes back to retrospect a little bit. And it tells us that when Absalom in his lifetime, when, when he was... When he was fancy and free, he built a pillar and put it in the king's dale because he had no son to remember his name. Now, we know Absalom had children, but apparently he lost his children. And so he builds this pillar because he has no heirs, and he puts it in the king's dale. It shouldn't have been there. He wouldn't be king. But it was a monument to himself. And they, they, uh, that's how he received some honor. 
He called the pillar after his own name, Absalom's place. But that's all he had. That's all he had. So he had two monuments. One was a monument to his sin, and the other was a monument to his self. And that's the monuments people build. It's a monument to sin and a monument to self. Isn't that something? Is that all that's left? Now, folks, I want to tell you, as far as I'm concerned, when I die, I don't want to be remembered by a pile of rocks. I don't want to be remembered by some monument somewhere, some tombstone. Just buy the cheapest thing you can find. Don't name anything after me. Not that you would. I want to be remembered not by a pile of rocks, a pile or a pillar. I want to be remembered by people who've come to Jesus and grew spiritually because Mike Barnett was a part of their lives. Why do you want to be remembered by? A pile of rocks from your sin? A pillar to your ego? And pride are people, your missions that you prayed for, that you witnessed to, that you burdened for, for their soul to be saved. That's what I want to be remembered by. Amen. Nothing else matters. Put your name on a building. You know what's going to happen in that building? We're going to have a hurricane blow it away. But that's okay. We're self-insured. It's going to rot away someday. Put your picture up. You know what's going to happen? People in five generations are going to walk by and say, who's that guy? But I want to tell you something. You win somebody to Jesus. They'll come by your grave and say, this is the woman. This is the man that led me to Christ. And then in generations to come, when that person's grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren and and descendants down the line are saved, the Lord in heaven will say, look at there, look at there. You you know them. No, I don't know them, Lord. Who are they? You led their great-great-great-great-grandmother to Jesus. You sat with them in vacation Bible school on that Thursday and in the pew and led them to Christ. You went to their home and after prayer and burden for them, you led them to Christ. And God's going to say... That's your monument. That's your memory. That's your legacy. Amen. That's what I want. But if you're going to fight against the king, you're not going to have that. So, Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. And I mean, that's that's the truth. That's the bottom line. So, whose side are you on? And and, and you might, now now you got to get this. This is the heart of the message, okay? Don't, don't be getting ready to go. you got to get this. You might say, well, preacher, I've heard everything you said, and, and I want to tell you, I believe I'm on the Lord's side. I am on the Lord's side. I have my eyes right. Well, let's see. Let's see. Very important. Look at verse 10. Of chapter 18, Absalom is hanging 
by the branches, kicking his legs back and forth, trying to free himself. The mule has walked on. And along comes a certain man. We don't know his name. We believe he was a low-rank soldier. Probably not even a corporal. Just a foot soldier. Just a, just a hard-working soldier. And a certain man saw it. He turns around and he goes back to headquarters and he tells Joab. And Joab says, Behold, I saw Absalom hanged in an oak tree. And Joab said unto that man that told him, And behold, thou sawest him. Why didn't you smite him there to the ground? And I would have given you ten shekels of silver and a girdle. That means I would have given you a reward of money and I would have given you rank. I'd have given you some medals. And the man said unto Joab, Though I should receive a thousand shekels of silver in my hand, yet would I not put forth my hand against the king's son, for in our hearing the king charged you, General Joab, and General Abishai, and General Ittai, saying, Beware that none touch the young man Absalom. Otherwise... I should have wrought falsehood against my own life. For there is no matter hid from the king. And you yourself, Joab, would have set thyself against me. And so, this man, we don't know his name. You know, when we get to heaven, I think we we might ask the question, who was the greatest Christian that ever lived? It's going to be somebody somewhere we've never heard of. We don't know their name. The greatest hero in this chapter, we don't even know his name. But we know his eyes were right. He never quit looking at the king. Let me tell you three characteristics of this man. And if you're fighting with the king, if you're fighting for the king and you're on his side, these are your characteristics. Number one, their only desire is to do the will of the king. That's it. Their only desire. My gain is not important. Joab, I don't care if you'd give me a thousand shekels and make me a general. (laughs) That's not the king's will. I will not do it. My gain is not what's important. It's his glory. It's important. The second characteristic is, is they only trust the word of God to guide them. They only trust the word of God to guide them. I love this text. Now, you've got to understand... And you military guys and, and ladies, you, you might, you would understand when, when, when the commanding officer is not respected, and, and the, the, the term respect, honor the rank, not the man, you ever heard that? Well, this is where this comes into play. This man and his courage looked at Joab and says, first of all, Joab, the king would have found out that I had done it. And also, I don't trust you, Joab, because I know you. You, 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 uh, you might have told the king that I did it. And you kill me to tell the king I took care of him, king, because he disobeyed your order. Joab, I don't trust you as far as I can throw you medals and all. Right? 
And so I heard what the king said, and I'm only going to do what the king said. Wow. I only trust God's word in what it tells me to do. Second of all, they share the heart of the king. We heard the king say, spare the young man Absalom. We heard his heart, Joab. We heard his brokenness. We saw his tears. We share his burden for the young man Absalom, Joab. And then we read about what is it like to not be eyes on the king, to be fighting against the king. Now, those three characteristics, if you're fighting for the king, this is your, this your, that's your characteristic. But this could be you too. Joab looked at him and said, I don't have time for you. Get back. I don't I want to mess with you anymore. And so if you're fighting... For your own self. If you're fighting for your own self, you're like Joab here. There's always the Joabs. And here's their characteristics. Number one, they do not have the mind of the king. They don't have the mind of Christ. Joab had a perceived loyalty to David. But he did not love David as David loved. His thoughts were not David's thoughts. He put his hand to what he did and called it service to David, but his heart was far from David. See, if your heart's not right, your hands aren't going to do right either. He, he, he said, David, here's my sword. I'll use it for you, but he didn't surrender his spirit. And so they, have, they, they do not have the mind of Christ. The second characteristic of somebody who is fighting for themselves and not the king is is they have great resolve. They have great resolve. They're bound and determined to do what they want to do and how they want to do it and when they want to do it and to whom they want to do it to and for the purpose they want to do it. They, 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 They have a great resolve. They don't let go of things easily. They're like Joab. Joab said, Absalom's going to die. I can just imagine Joab's thinking as he's passing through the gate, as we read early on, and David says, Deal gently with the young man, even Absalom, for my sake. Absalom in his head says, If I see him, I'm going to cut his head off. I'm going to kill him. They have a great resolve. And, and, and why is it that? Because, folks, when you don't have the mind of Christ, all you have is your call. And you're too arrogant and prideful to surrender to the Lordship of Christ and have His mind. So you fight to the death or everybody else's death for your cause. And it's it's not about what Christ the King wants. It's about what you want and what you think ought to be and how you think things ought to be. And you have a great resolve, and it's hard to convince you otherwise because there's no repentance there. You don't slay your pride. And this is where Joab is. He was passionate about it. He didn't take one javelin. He took three. 
He, 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 he sent his ten, and when he finished with him, he sent ten of his men to take him out some more. You see, they have great resolve. Why such resolve to do? Because they want to appear to be zealous for the king. I believe, and we'll see this in, in future messages here, I believe this is when Joab lost all respect from the army. And I believe it's when he lost all hope from David. Because when David is old, he calls in Solomon, who's nine years old now. He calls in Solomon and he says, Solomon, I've got to tell you about a few people in the kingdom here. And he says, he says this, do not let Joab's gray head go to the grave in peace. And Solomon, one of the first things he does, you remember our president say first hundred days in office? Well, it's not even first hundred days. Solomon has Joab killed and executed. And I believe this is where it really goes back to, although Joab's done some crazy things. And then the third thing I want you to see about the Joabs is they like and are good. They are good at looking and sounding victorious. They really are. Joab sounded the trumpet. That's what it says. Called in all the troops and said, it's done. It's done. One commentator from England said something very interesting. He said that if you read, if you read when, when Absalom was first planning the battle, the goal was just kill David, and that's all we need to do. That commentator said Joab took up the strategy of the, of the rebellion and said just kill Absalom and we're done. And that's what he did. They blow their trumpets. And they sound like they are victoriously on the king's side. But they're not. Because the king is concerned about the Absaloms more than anything. Joab really thought, he really thought, I am keeping David on the throne by killing Absalom. You know, sometimes, folks, we can think we are protecting God by standing where we stand and hollering out loud and all that. But I want to tell you what. He's on the throne with or without us. God, David didn't need Joab to keep David on the throne. God had promised him the throne. You're not going to get God off his throne. And you're not going to keep God on it. Boy, you don't realize how liberating that was when I realized as a young 20-something-year-old preacher, I don't have to keep God on His throne. He can take care of Himself. But God says, I want to care for the Absaloms for my sake. So, whose side you on? Are your eyes right? Are you concerned for the souls of the Absaloms? Are you concerned for the glory of the king? Are you relying on his provisions for the battles? 
Are your eyes right for His glory, for His goal of grace in the hearts of lost people and rebels? Whose side are you on? Let's stand for our song of appeal.